So earlier this week, uh, as I do each September, I spent a couple days away with some fellow pastor friends of mine, and we spend time together in prayer and mapping out and planning out our uh, sermon series calendars for the next year. And so uh, that, was, that was one of the things we do. And as we get together and do that, uh, there's some encouragement that comes along with that. There's just, uh, we're helping each other, we're praying for each other and all that kind of, those kinds of things. But we also talk about, hey, what are some of the things that happened this past year, even though not, we're not done with it, that have just been really great, or things that, sermon series that we've talked about that have been our favorite. And, and I told them, we're not even through this one, and it's my favorite of the year. And the reason for that is, is we've talked about this idea of living life with God and what it looks like to live life with faith, and we're talking about hope today and love next week, is that like, how we think about God, our theology of God, is transformative. How we view God, how we think about Him, how we relate to Him, our theology of Him, that changes your life. And I get it, like I say this, this, the the sentence, theology can change your life. And I get how exciting that sounds. It's like, oh, great, let's, let's talk about theology. That sounds great. I mean, some of us are theology nerds, and that's great, and I get it. I know how exciting that sounds. But the right foundation for our theology, my, my prayer for us is that as we know God and as we relate to him, as we live life with him, that we begin to see life through the scope of eternity that God sees life in. Because those things change our lives. It gives us the ability to hold on to the hope that God provides us uh, with a life with him. Now, hope, hope is a funny thing. Uh, hope is one of those things that seems, I think, fleeting for most of us. It's one of those things that's hard for us to grasp, maybe hard to define. And I think the reason for that is most of the times when we use the word hope, we could actually substitute it with the word wish. And I get this might seem like an exercise in semantics, but you think about like those people who got on the tour for the celebrity thing, and they're like, oh, maybe we'll see somebody's house, and actually ended up in the Oscars, and you think, man, wish, I hope one day I can meet Denzel Washington, and he can do my wedding. It's like, That's never going to happen. I'm not, like, I'm not, I don't mean to crush your dreams or anything, but it's just not going to happen in your life. You know, the wish thing, it's not really very grounded in reality. Um, I, I, I want to give you an example of this, and uh, do you guys have motivational posters like around your workplace at all? Okay, some of you do. Um, so there's this thing, uh, you know where I'm going with this already? There's this thing, they're called demotivational posters. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, and I like demotivational posters. So here's a demotivational poster for Wish. And when you wish upon a falling star, your dreams can come true. See, it starts off pretty good. Unless it's really a meteorite hurling to the earth, which will destroy all life. You're pretty much hosed no matter what you wish for, unless it's death by a meteor. All right? That's typically how wishes go, right? They're not very grounded in reality. What wishes really are, and hang, hang with me for a second here, it's really just a positive spin on despair. It's something that we desperately want to happen in our life, but it's never, it's never going to take place. It's really, it's really just a positive form of despair in our life. Here's a, here's a demotivational poster for despair and what that looks like. You've heard the, it's always darkest before the dawn. You like that one? It's like, I, I apologize in advance for ruining this for you. It's always darkest just before it goes pitch black. I mean, that's, right? There's a kind of reality there that we don't deal in when we're wishing for something. But hope is something different. Hope is confident. Hope is grounded in reality, and it is born out of reality, and it's, it exists maybe even despite and in the face of reality. 
wish, you know, we want to suspend reality. It's something that, man, if oh, we only wish this could be different, then everything would be better in us. Hope, hope doesn't care about the circumstance that we're in, at least not the hope that God gives us through Christ. And here's why this is so important, and I think why faith, hope, and love are, are centered, you know, are very, very much pillars when it comes to our faith and our life with God. Um, particularly in our culture, we are experiencing a despair epidemic. And I'm not just saying that anecdotally. I mean, as researchers are looking at what's happening in our culture, how people are dealing with life, uh, the National Center for Health Statistics has uh, put this out. They said deaths of despair from suicide, alcohol abuse, and drug overdoses, they've caused life expectancy in the U.S. to decline for two consecutive years, even though fewer of us are dying from heart disease and cancer. I mean, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty wild. Because it seems like, man, we just constantly have opportunities to better our life and better life and things just keep getting better. And yet despair, anxiety, worry, fear seem to continue to grow. And it's not something that's just like affecting one subset of beliefs or one subset of culture. I mean, the church world was rocked several weeks ago when a megachurch pastor out in California committed suicide after dealing with depression and anxiety for months and months. I mean, it's something that's, like, even if you've never dealt with those kinds of things or despair in your life, there's somebody that's sitting near you, if not next to you, or somebody in your family, in your life, at your work, that is. I mean, it's a very real, visceral thing that we deal with. You know, a century before these two Princeton University researchers declared this despair epidemic, uh, a Danish theologian and philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, some of you have read Kierkegaard, you know about him, described a condition that he believed affected everyone and could culminate in a sickness unto death. That's how he described it. And that condition was despair. And so in 1849, this is what he wrote. He says, if there were nothing eternal in a man, he could not despair. See, he believed, as do I, that despair is a spiritual affliction. It's a disconnect that we have in our relationship and how we view God. And so Kierkegaard taught that despair was the outcome of being unable to accept one's position with regard to God and of misrelations between the self, others, and God that are caused by sin. So we talk about hope as a very positive thing. We want that in our life. I don't think anybody would say, I don't want hope in my life, but it can be very difficult to define and therefore difficult to recognize. But in the very first foundational part of it, what you do know is that hope is the opposite of despair. And God wants to experience hope. If you did your church week uh, this past week, if you're here last Sunday, I gave you some homework to read Hebrews chapter 11. You'll remember hope popping up in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Hope is what the flyer, if you're here next week, last week we talked about a trapeze artist and how you go to the circus, you see them flying through there, how amazing, like all the gymnastics maneuvering and stuff that they do is just incredible. We see that happening. But the only reason that that can happen is because there's someone who catches them. And that's a picture of faith, is us knowing and trusting and believing that God is our catcher, that he's already made that promise, that he's already caught us in salvation. Hope is the feeling that we have as we're flying through the air. Like, that's when we get to enjoy that experience. We get to have a conspicuous peace and joy as we fly through the air knowing that we're going to be caught. Godly hope is confident expectation in our life. It's the peace and joy sustained in us by the Spirit regardless of our circumstance. And when we don't have it, 
It's an indicator that there's a disconnect from what we say we believe about God and what we're putting into practice in our lives as a result of what we believe about him. And so I, I just want to read from Hebrews chapter 6 and chapter 7. I, I just want to contextualize the reason that we have hope and what our hope is based in in this life. And here, here's what we read, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 16 through 20, and then I'm going to read Hebrews chapter 7, 26 through 28. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And there's some references to Old Testament things that are happening, and we're going to dive into the details of that. But listen in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 through 28, the description of what this means. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. And like the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is talking about Jesus. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Verse 19 is the one that's worth marking up, highlighting through, underlining in your Bible. Write a note in the margin. We have this hope, Jesus, our Savior, as an anchor for the soul, which is firm and secure. The hope that we have in salvation is made certain by the promises of God, who cannot lie and makes an oath with himself to confirm that promise through Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith and our salvation. You see, when hope in God is our anchor, the storms that swirl around us just don't matter. It's not just that we can make it through our circumstances and our events and the things that pop up out of nowhere that we don't expect and we haven't necessarily even planned for. And they don't. It's not just that we can survive those things. The storms just don't matter because of what God has already done, how he's anchored our hope. Throughout the Old Testament, when you read about the sea or when the ocean is referenced, it's always used as a picture of the chaos of a world broken by sin. So, you know, think about hurricane and where the hurricane uh, came from. Well, that developed in the sea and that it comes through. And so and think about the storms, like 83-foot-tall waves, you know, being in the midst of a storm in the ocean, all those kinds of things. And so throughout the Old Testament, you see references to the sea or the ocean as being like, that's where chaos comes from and it's dangerous, and it's horrible. And here's, uh, here's the description of the despair um, using, using water and using the sea in this way from Psalm uh, chapter 69. And see if this is something that you felt, or, or, and if you haven't, there's somebody next to you that, that has at some point in their life. And here's what David writes as he describes the despair that he's feeling in life. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. And listen, there is nothing wrong with recognizing moments and seasons in your life when you're in despair. I mean, that's what, that's what David is doing is he's recognizing that there's something missing in his life. 
it is evidence that we were made for so much more. That there's a disconnect between our physical lives and our spiritual lives and the life that God originally intended for us that we messed up through our sin. And it's a recognition of that. When we move through, the, through those moments of despair, it gives us time to acknowledge the reality of this side of heaven and develop perspective in the face of circumstances. Disciples of Jesus, however, we don't have to wallow in our despair. Unless you want to. You know, there's some times where we just kind of need some me time and maybe we need to take a few really deep sighs, you know, and, and deal with those moments where we need some healing and we need to have that attention of the people that are around us that are encouragers for us. That's why we're not meant to do our faith on our own. That's why we need the people who are around us that encourage us, who strengthen us, who help us through in life because there's those moments in despair when we need people to build us up and encourage us. And we should absolutely take those cues from those around us for when they need encouragement. But listen, listen to how David, and he begins the psalm talking about despair. Listen to how he ends Psalm chapter 69, verse 34. He says, Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them, for God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it, and those who love his name will dwell there. Even the sea, the thing that was overwhelming him, making him feel like he was drowning in life, he says, even that praises God. Even the thing that was threatening to drown him, like that doesn't have power over his life. Remember, maybe you've heard this story before. Jesus is sleeping in a boat with his disciples, and a storm comes up, and it's rocking the boat. They think they're going to die as a result of it. So they run down in a panic, and they shake Jesus awake, and they say, wake up, wake up, we're about to die. And Jesus kind of looks at him. I just imagine just really? Like, you still don't get who you're with, do you? And so Jesus walks up, and he says, peace, be still. Everything calms immediately. And he says, man, you guys still just don't have your faith where it should be yet, do you? See, there is no chaos in your life over which God can't take control. Nothing. And the right actions in dealing with chaos in our life when the storms come up come from recognizing that it's not on your shoulders to keep your hope that comes from God alive. As long as we start from the right premise in living life with God as he wants to relate with us. One of the things, that, the thread that we've woven through this series is that there are four main ways that we typically relate to God that just miss the mark just a bit. They're called life under God, over God, from God, and for God. And we talk, we unpack that a lot more in detail in the first message uh, with God. But here, maybe you find, you still find yourself in one of these categories. Listen to how each of these ways of relating to God still leave room for despair in our lives. First, life under God promotes moral certitude in a culture that can no longer define right and wrong. It tells us that obeying divine commands will be our anchor in these volatile times. Now, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we don't follow God's divine commands. But if you expect that everyone else around you is going to be doing the same thing, and if you expect our culture to be following God's divine commands, as he says, in our, and, and, and you're putting your hope in that, in those external ways of, of, of following God, you're going to despair. Because not everybody is going to follow God's d divine commands. A life over God says hope will come from employing God's principles in your life. You can navigate to safe harbor if you just use the right charts. I'm just to let you know, ain't none of us smart enough to do it that way. 
are, none, of us, none of us are going to take, like, and perfectly apply all the principles of God from the Bible on our lives and set things up for ourselves perfectly so we're in a safe harbor and we aren't affected by the storms of life. Life from God places hope in the process of self-actualization. Purpose comes from identifying and then fulfilling one's desires. And I know Cinderella said, a dream is a wish your heart makes, but that's not real life. It's not, it's, it's not Disney, and it doesn't work that way. You know how I know that? Because you and I have gotten what we've wanted before. And it still hadn't been enough, right? And life for God finds hope in devoting one's life to the accomplishment of a, greater, a purpose greater than oneself. Mission is the anchor that will give you meaning and significance. And I can tell you from personal experience very clearly um, that if we're expecting that we can accomplish God's mission on our own and that's where our hope is going to come from, man, we're going to be, we're going to be in a lonely place. Because a life with God, the control was not on us or with us. It's not on our shoulders. It's on his, and he's already taken care of it. Life comes at us fast. And so we have to have our hope firmly and safely and securely anchored in the storm in a life with God. You, you ever been on the water before when a storm has come up? So I'm, I'm not a sailor or anything like that. But when I was a kid, we would go out once a year on the Rappahannock River, where it's brackish or really wide. Um, my dad's partner, business partner um, had a speedboat. We'd go out there and we'd put, it was really fun as a kid because you could put four hooks on and pull up like two, three, four spot at a time. And I always thought that was amazing uh, that we could do that. And we're sitting there and we're fishing. We're catching a lot of fish and we look over. And there's, there's just clouds out in the distance. And they look a little dark. And it's like, that's fine. You've seen those clouds before on land. They're no big deal. It'll be a long time before they get here. And, and my dad's friend says, actually, you know, we need to go in and we need to hurry up and go. And I'm kinda, as a kid, I'm like, ah, it's, it's not that big of a deal. By the time we got back to the boat ramp and we're trying to get the boat onto the trailer, um, it was actually almost too dangerous to get the boat out of the water. That's how quickly the storm had blown up. That's how crazy the wind and the waves had gotten at that point. So I'm sitting, standing on the dock and realizing, man, this is, this is some crazy stuff. The sto storms in life, they show up out of nowhere sometimes, and we feel very ill-prepared. And it's not just natural disasters and storms that threaten to take away our hope. We get laid off, or we get fired, we get a cancer diagnosis, Another unexpected expense comes up. Your kid is sick again. Someone walks out of your life. You're reminded once again of the same family problems that you've had for years. Someone dies. You have a life-changing injury. You have a change in your mental health. You're lonely. You're depressed. You're anxious. You're worried. You've got fear. The chaos of the storm of life wash over us in real ways. And the storms leave damage in its wake. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, hope is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, the hope that we have through Jesus. And so I just want to share a few things uh, that I learned about how to anchor in a storm. And so you could apply these, you know, just like if you go out sailing and you need to, you know, put an anchor down and stuff like that, or you could apply these uh, to your spiritual life. And here's how to anchor in a storm. The first thing you have to do is you have to pay attention to your surroundings, you can't just assume because you have your boat, you know, tied up to the dock that everything's going to be cool. If the storm is coming and you're in a harbor, that's great. But if you're too close to the dock, you're too close to another boat, you're just going to end up smashing into it and you're both going to get sunk. I mean, you've seen the pictures of tornadoes and hurricanes coming through and messing up, 
you know, a marina, and it's crazy. So when you're in the harbor and you're preparing for the storm, you got to make sure that your, your surroundings are in the right place. And it's not, just, it's not just like where other boats are and where the docks are and all that kind of stuff, making you have space, but making sure you're next to the right people, right? Because it matters how they're anchoring their boat too. And so who, who we have in our lives, the people that we surround ourselves, the harbors that we choose to anchor in, those matter. And so we have to ask ourselves, have we ordered our lives around the promises of God? Is God sovereign in my life? Am I with fellow believers who are giving and receiving hope? Are we with God in his harbor? Or are we in a harbor of our own making? I mean, one of the reasons, and when we're talking about this, this today, uh, signups are open for small groups at Velocity. And sure, they're a great way uh, to... Uh, potentially make new friends, a great way to grow in your faith, but they're also safe harbors for us. Where the life that Jesus established, the church on which he set the, found, on the foundation of his death, burial, and resurrection, like those are the places in which we're meant to gather together and encourage each other and live out a life with hope as we live out our lives with God. The second thing, um, so I want to encourage you to sign up for a, for a small group. The second thing is you got to check on your anchor. Um, and this would involve, like, if you're in an actual boat, diving down and making sure your anchor is actually secured. See, if you have your anchor in uh, weeds, seaweed, and mud, all that means is that when the storm comes, it's going to drag your boat, and you're going to collect so much seaweed and mud in your anchor that it's not going to connect to anything substantial. And so you got to check on what your anchor is actually connected to in your life. Like, what is the thing that you have put your hope in? In many cases, if you had a chance to do a visual inspection, you could have done it, but you didn't, you're going to regret it when the winds start to blow. And you're going to feel way off kilter more than you should. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, after Jesus is finishing up his Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Here's, here's the thing. When we've checked our surroundings and we're making sure that our anchor is actually in something that's safe and secure, solid, like the gospel of Jesus, that's, that's when we get to practice our hope. That we get to trust our anchor. Because, look, when the storm comes, it's like whatever you've done up to this point, that's all you can, that's all you can go on. There ain't, there's nothing you're doing in the midst of the storm. You're just ho holding on for dear life, and it matters where, where you've anchored yourself in that to be ready for it. Trust the catcher, and you will have peace and joy because of the hope you have in God's guaranteed promise through Jesus. If we believe in Jesus for our salvation, we can live with hope. The confident expectation that not only is the world, history, all moving toward God's great purpose, but that your personal identity, your direction, and your significance can be experienced with the confident expectation that life with God provides us. It is anchored into Jesus, who is more powerful than any circumstance or event that we may go through in life. 
And, and I, I just want to share with you really quickly, I'm not saying this as far as a, like this is how you should do things. I'm, I'm speaking from personal experience and living out these things. Seven years ago, I was reminded, somebody posted a picture, seven years ago, I was in San Diego uh, on Coronado Island, which is a beautiful place, and I was looking out into the harbor, there's a naval harbor there, and well, there's a, a lot because it's an island, there's, there's water all around, um, and we're looking at it, and the reason that I was there is because I was on, in the middle of a two-year journey wondering if um, I could hold on to the hope of the gospel. I mean, that's just where I was in my life seven years ago. And this is as someone who vocationally was working at churches, um, living life with other Christians, and I was still trying to figure out whether or not despair was going to win over. And, and just to, to share with you the result of that, and through that healing process, uh, as we were in that safe harbor, we were being anchored in who we are in Christ, and we were discovering how not to find our identity in ourselves or our circumstances, and that moment in the harbor was life-changing for me. And maybe that's, maybe that's where you are in your life. You need a safe harbor. Be a part of a small group. Be, be in the harbor with, with fellow believers uh, together, and it will renew your hope. But this is the other truth that I learned while I was there. A ship in harbor is safe, but that is not what ships are built for. As image bearers of the living God, we weren't created to be ornamental. We're not God's trophies that he kind of takes down and polishes every once in a while and puts us on display. We've been given a life with hope, not just so that we can survive, although there are moments that we need to stop and we need to be grateful for that in those seasons and be thankful for that, but also so we can be who God created us to be, vessels who bear his image as a light and as an anchor in the rough waters and storms and chaos of life. That's, that's the life with God, with hope, that we're invited to live. And not just for ourselves, but for the people around us, the people sitting next to us, the people at our work, the people in our family, our friends, what, whatever connections you have. Like, that's, that's who we get to be. There's something beautifully poetic about the fact that in the Old Testament, the sea and the ocean is talking about being where chaos comes from and where the storms of life come from. And this is, these are the things that, that threaten to break us down and, and, and destroy us. And yet in the New Testament... Everything, all of that is flipped on its head. There's so many, the way that Noah's flood is talked about, I mean, there's so many great examples of this, but, but one of those things is that, I mean, the, the picture that we're given in salvation through baptism, like when we believe that Jesus is our Savior, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that we can put our faith, hope, and love in him, and we are going to be secure, that he's caught us in this moment, like, that, that picture of us going down into the water is not one of, you know, we joke about, I'm going to hold you 30 seconds later, you, you know, and, and really get everything. No, it's, it's like all of that brokenness and all of that chaos and all of that sin that is separated from uh, us from God and taken away our hope, like that's washed away through those waters. See, God controls that. He redeems that. And we can live our life with hope as a result, as we trust in him with our faith and our life with him. Maybe, I, I don't know which side of the coin you are on that. Maybe, like, you are a Christian and you just do need to be reminded of that hope and where your trust is placed in. Or maybe you just need to hear this so you can, can be an anchor for someone else and be reminded that sharing hope is part of one of the things that you need to do. But maybe, maybe you're on the other side of the coin where you haven't placed your hope and trust in God yet. And I just want to let you know that that invitation is always open. 
It's something we're always ready to talk about, that we're here and we're ready to pray with you, to talk with you through, to baptize you, to help you repent and confess and live the life with God that he's called us um, to do. So I want to invite you to do that. Grab one of us, put it on your Connect card or something like that if you want to have that conversation. In the meantime, let me pray for us. God, we ask that you uh, remind us of who we are in you, uh, where our hope is placed in, that it's not in our control, and that's the best case scenario, that when we give it over to you, um, that we can live a life with hope, uh, that we can live a life with expectant confidence and peace and joy because of our salvation, and it's built and anchored into and onto you. God, we praise you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.